We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Colato. Today we are coming here to you to give another draft profile breakdown. This will be Evan Neal, the offensive tackle prospect. I'll call him an offensive line prospect because he does have experience at guard. One of the things I like about him, by the way, experience at guard and on the right side as well as the left side, and that's Evan Neal, massive mammoth of a human being, fun to watch on tape just because of his pure size alone. You don't see athletes at that size who can move that well. And it's most interesting thing I thought about Neal was when I actually got a chance to just see him at the combine. And it just It's crazy how well he carries his weight. I guess that's what happens when you're six foot seven for the most part, but you know he doesn't look like Mekhi Becton. Look, he really looks almost skinny. For a guy who's 340 pounds almost at six foot seven. So interesting player to get to. Before we do that, though, Nick, I did want to go ahead and uh, ask you how things were in life and then talk a little bit about some of the Giants news. We got some restructures and cuts. Yeah, man, life is good. Happy 0311 day. If you know, you know. Shout out to everyone out there. There is quite a bit of news coming in with the New York Giants, man. Excited to tackle some of it. Some of it was expected, others not as expected. Yeah, I think the some what this news is telling me mostly is, one, the whole, and this was always a report. It was not like Joe Shane came out and said, okay, guys, I'm going to clear 40 million in cap space. That whole report about him clearing 40 million in cap space, it seems highly unlikely at this point, given the restructures they've already made and the fact that Saquon Barkley is still on the roster and James Bradbury is still on the roster. I don't think he's going to clear out about 40 million. I think it's going to be a lot less. And we're seeing that as the news trickles in. We had some obvious moves, the obvious decision to cut Riley Dixon. Haven't had that since the last podcast. I don't think surprised anyone. Uh, maybe the only surprise there would be that it didn't happen sooner. You know, he's a, at best, league average punter. The Giants, just for some odd reason, Gettleman was like so thrilled trading a draft pick for him. He thought he stole him. He just re- immediately resigns him to a big deal. 
Um, but that's off the books now. Minimal dead cap. I think there's very little, if no dead cap behind that cut. So that's a good one. They also cut Caden Smith, which I think is a bigger surprise to us than it would be had we had any information about the injury. The Giants are just like weird with these injuries, it seems, because no one had any clue about the severity of his injury until Dan Duggan tweeted today that he's dealing with a, such a serious injury that he may never play football again, or he may never be the same if he even does get a chance to make it back to football. So I think the Smith cut was less of a surprise to me now that I know about the injury. What about you on both of those cuts? Yeah, we weren't really 100% certain what was going on with his knee. I guess we all just kind of expected it was going to be a typical type of knee injury and not one that was career-threatening. And if he can't pass the physical, then obviously the Giants aren't going to move forward with him on the roster. It really sucks because I like Caden Smith. I thought he developed well as a blocker ever since Steve Gettleman signed him off of the 49ers. It was going to be on his practice squad. They attempted to kind of stash him and sign him on the practice squad. The Giants pounced on that. It was one of the good moves that Gettleman did make, and he had a good 2019. I felt like he was underutilized as a receiver and probably underutilized in general. So I just hope he gets healthy. Maybe we'll see him down the road if he can ever get better with that knee. And that's for Riley Dixon. I mean, we, we've been talking about this for how long now? We all knew that was coming. Yeah, as far as Smith goes, there is probably a chance for a reunion with the Giants at some point, but it all depends on how severe that injury is. And I think he was not only underrated as a blocker, he was underrated as a receiver. He made gains as a receiver every chance he had an opportunity to get. And that one stretch in 2019 with Daniel Jones when Ingram was hurt, I mean, he was used as a seam stretcher. He was used uh, in mesh, and he did a great job in mesh, especially in the red zone, became a threat in the red zone. He really looked to me like the best. It honestly could be even be claimed. Like, I don't think it's unfair to say he had the best stretch of <laughs> of run for any tight end on the Giants over the last four or five years. Like Ingram had something similar with Shermer, but he wasn't the same kind of blocker during that run. And he wasn't really in the same used in the same position. I thought, you know, Smith showed a lot in that 2019 stretch, obviously wasn't able to stay healthy over the last couple of years. And the Giants didn't view him the way that we did. You know, they didn't view him the way we did. They didn't view him the way the fans did because they did go out and they signed Kyle Rudolph. They did go out and they signed Levine Toilolo and then even restructured to keep Levine Toilolo. So obviously the way they viewed Smith is not the same way that we viewed him. Uh, but now the injury takes the, uh, you know, paramount. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Smith had a specific role in Jason Garrett's offense that they wanted to utilize him in, which was a little bit different than how he would use, how he was used as Shermer. And that was as that 
sniffer that has that H back in the, their counter base run play that they ran. And we talked about it a lot during that 2020 season because Jason Garrett, once week five rolled around and they faced the Dallas Cowboys, they started running so much counter, bringing the sniffer in as the lead blocker with the backside guard pulling it. And Smith did such a great job doing that. So I think that's might be one reason why they wanted to go out and add Kyle Rudolph was to maybe, maybe use Evan Ingram in a different type of way while keeping Caden Smith in that type of role. But it was weird because 2021, we didn't see as much counter, did we? Exactly. You're right. That was something no one expected. We thought they would lean on that. It was a play that worked for them down the stretch run. And then what happened to it? It might be because Shane Lemieux was was really good on the play yeah, side of that's those, a big, yep. and he he wasn't there. And then just you know you bring in rotating these interior offensive linemen of Matt Skuras and Wes Martins, they just didn't have as much confidence to run the counter run there. That's probably it. And again, tight ends probably played a factor as well. Without Gaden Smith, they maybe not didn't have the same kind of confidence that those guys can pull off their roles in it. But we'll see if that becomes another staple of the run game with Dable. I I don't think it will, but we'll have to no. see. Uh, maybe more of just sprinkled in. Um, and that's fine. I mean, there's no right or wrong way to run the ball from a schematic standpoint, I don't think. The <laughs> only thing that's probably wrong is like when you pat Shermer it and you just do like such a heavy percentage of one thing. Unless you're, but that, even the case can be made, that's not the case because Kyle Shanahan runs one heavy, uh, runs a lot outside zone and he runs it really well. So does so do the Kubiak. So I guess it all just depends. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder when it comes to the run scheme. But as far as the other moves the Giants have made, I think they're, Interesting. I'll say that the first was to restructure and keep Sterling Shepard, despite the Achilles injury that he's reportedly doing really well from, despite all the injuries. This move, I think, ultimately ends up not saving them much, but they at least get to keep him on the roster. Versus if they had cut him, they would it would have been like four, uh, four in dead cap, um, and then they would have saved around the same. But you're also kind of just kind of paying him not to be on the roster. The Blake Martinez one interesting as well because they would have saved about eight million by releasing martinez uh with a five million uh around five million dead cap hit what these two signings tell me nick and i'm curious to get your take on this is that it's not the rebuild that some of us were expecting they're not fully just looking at this like it doesn't matter what happens in 2020 uh 2023 sorry 2022 i'm getting my years mixed up it doesn't matter what happens in 2022 we need to look forward to the future they want to keep around guys that are big for the locker room and play a big role within the team as well, especially on the field for Martinez's case to compete for next year. Like they're not looking at it like, well, worst comes to worst. We have a worse record next year. We have a better draft pick. We have a better chance to find the quarterback or anything like that. These decisions are are interesting to me to keep Martinez and Shepard because they, they do have at least some forward, lean, uh, you know, short term forward looking lean to them. They definitely do. And it's interesting, too, with with Shep. I mean, there's going to be incentives and there are incentives put into that contract. So if he is able to get back on the field and be an impact player in 2022, he can recuperate some of the money that he lost after the pay cut. Great locker room guy, the longest tenured giant. I'm glad they were able to keep him from that sense, but I'm just not. I just don't know what his impact will be. I guess we'll see. I'm not a freaking doctor or anything like that. And as for Blake Martinez, man, I do think he can make an impact. He just tore his ACL. It was week three. He should be ready by the start of the season by all accounts. I'm not – I guess we thought earlier in the offseason that he could definitely be a cap cut. They probably wouldn't have been able to to trade him. And I think they could have saved – it was like $8 million on the cap if they – if they uh, did release him, but now it's just a restructure. And do we even have the the details about the restructure yet? No, it's not even confirmed either. It's reported by Jordan Schultz, who's 
not necessarily doesn't have the best track record in my mind. He had reported interest with the Giants and Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson and all sorts of things. So, but I think that one will probably happen. Okay, that's interesting. Then, yeah, I wasn't one hundred percent sure because uh, I I think we saw Ronon confirm it though, so that that made me feel a yeah, little that bit one's more. Good, uh, then. Yeah, and I'm less less so thinking like, can he make an impact this year? I think he'll be fine. Like you said, the injury was early enough. It's more so just about what do these decisions say because it's hard to envision a future for Martinez and Shepard here um, based on their age and injury history. So just deciding to keep them now is essentially just saying we need them for this next season. We want them for this next season. In addition to probably there's other factors here. I'm sure they've done their part in in helping, you know, in showing them enough to so Dable and Shane can believe that, look, these guys can help us install culture that we want to install because they still yes. do need to install this. They're here. They're new. Nobody knows Shane. Nobody knows Dable. They've probably had pretty solid starts, good introductions, and they have good fanfare coming with them, media, you know, all the media buzz. But they need to install what they're going to try to install from a culture standpoint. And there has to be some yes men in the building. As, as, and I know they have a, a bunch on roster already. Logan Ryan, the biggest yes man on the roster. But, you know, you want one on the offense side of the ball and you probably want another one. As many as you can get to try to help build out a culture. Um, and then maybe they can win some games. It's, it's still in the it's, it's, it's in the NFL. It's, you can never rule out the chance for a random run from a team that doesn't have that much talent. And the Giants could also realistically look at day two and say, we like a lot of those linebacking options. It would be awesome if we could keep Blake Martinez here. We could draft a Quay Walker from Georgia, who's a little bit raw, a Damone Clark from LSU, who's kind of raw, had a really good senior season. And then they could play behind Blake Martinez and, you know, step into some nickel situations. We can ingratiate them into starting and they can learn behind this professional and then we'll have to get thrown to the fire. I think that's some that could play a factor in it as well. For sure. That's a great point, Nick. And also not to mention, regardless of what they do with Martinez, if they were to cut him and totally look forward toward the future or just kind of keep him like they're going to, you still they should still be drafting linebackers in this draft. They still need to replenish the cupboard there by like without a doubt on the interior. And so you can't just roll forward with Blake Martinez, take Crowder and the and and cycle another few Reggie Raglins through the through the, through the mill because there's just there's just no future with that. And I think the Giants recognize that. I think Joe Shane will do a good job of amending, you know, and fixing that decision that the pass regime made as far as building out the inside corpse the way they did. And yes, I did just say corpse again. I'll probably just keep saying corpse the rest of the time. It's a conscious effort at this point. I know what I'm doing, but I'm still gonna do it. So I'll enjoy you do that. you, man. You, you do, do you, man. man. All right, Nick. You know, there, there, there's one thing about free agency that I find to be interesting in terms of the linebacking position. There's going to be three former Baltimore Ravens that all played hundreds of snaps on McMartindale's defense with Chris Board, who's a little bit younger, LJ Fort, and then I believe Josh Bynes is also a free agent. So I could see the Giants also going out and possibly adding one of them who knows Martindale's system, and maybe we won't see as much of the Tay Crowders of the world on the football field and we'll see a little bit more of them and again once we think about martindale's defense we watched a ton of his film from baltimore they rotate so much you know it's not like this guy's gonna play every snap unless he is a star they can have a bunch of role players just rotating 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 martindale does a good job kind of maximizing everybody who plays defense on the roster yep exactly that and so i'm with you on that it should be interesting to see how they build it out and but we do know that one piece will definitely be back and that's blake martinez all right let's move forward here Let's talk a little bit about Evan Neal, offensive tackle prospect that I think it's fair to say we're both hoping will be on the board and available for the Giants at five and 
possible seven, but even at five, that would be a dream. It, it might be a tough decision if there's multiple guys we like there, but Evan Neal, to me, it's interesting because I'm juxtaposing it to Charles Cross, who we just watched, and just having done them so close together back-to-back, you do see like just the total differences in their game. Like To me, they're just totally different players. I'm curious to get your take on this. The first thing I notice is just how Cross kind of lets it all come to him. He's in, you, you described it, and I think you used a good word to describe it. It's kind of like a passive pass protector, though so fluid in his variability. Like I, I really like watching him, especially in those drills, but Evan Neal is a little bit of a different player at six foot seven, three forty. You could see it with his hands. He get he has a good punch. I think it, it probably you'll, you'll tell me it probably has work to do on it. I'm sure it's not technically refined and perfect at this point, but he has a good punch and he uses his hands and he dic- likes to dictate a lot more often in the past game. And obviously in the run game, there are times where he 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 tends to obviously be block high because of his ridiculously long six foot seven frame, but he can drive guys in the run game too. He did a great, he had a great rep against Trayvon Walker where he drove him a few yards off the ball. So I think he likes to dictate more. I think he's a, a totally different prospect than cross, but man, as I said, with some of the prospects like him that we've gone over in these past years, when you're that big and that long and you can move like that, sometimes it's just hard. Sometimes you just can't get beat around the edge. It's, I call this the, the what's the kid, uh, the Orlando Brown Jr. factor. Like Orlando Brown Jr. had the worst combine ever, fell all the way to the third round, or I think it was the third or the second round with the Ravens. But he was immediately a factor in the NFL at the offensive tackle position. He's just too big to get around, just too big to fail. He can recover too big and obviously a combination of too athletic as well. So I just met my early thoughts right now, just popping right in on Evan Neal. I'm super excited about him. I think he's the best tackle I've studied so far between him and Cross, and I think he'd be well worth the Giants' pick at five overall. Yeah, I completely agree. I think he is, I guess you could say, a little bit more well-rounded, although he does have some warts. And that length you're talking about, I kind of heard somebody term this, and I didn't come up with it, and I don't remember who it was, but it's like a gravitational pull type of length because it doesn't matter if somebody's beating you around the edge. He has enough length as long as he has the hip mobility, which Neil does possess. He's going to restrict the space and then locate that guy just enough to kind of push him up and away from the pocket and allow his quarterback to step up. It's little things like that about Evan Neal that just make him a high floor type of prospect. Yeah, and so let's get into some of the strengths that we saw in film. Then we'll do some weaknesses. We can talk both pass and and run game. Then we can start to talk about maybe where he can fit. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a highly regarded five-star recruit out of IMG Academy, which is in Florida, produced, you know, Grant Delpit, KJ Hamler, KJ Osborne, the great offensive line coach, Mark Colombo, guys from other sports like Andre Agassi, which I'm sure you will appreciate, Andrew McCutcheon. Number one recruit in his class as well. Yeah, he was an absolute stud in high school, coming from that incredibly, incredibly illustrious academy. He checks all the boxes, man, with leadership and versatility. Like you said earlier, he played right tackle, left guard, started his junior season at left tackle once Alex Leatherwood went off to the NFL. It's massive, wide base, carries that 337-pound frame just incredibly well. I don't know where he hides it, to be honest. Like, like honestly, like he, he's very lean, like you said. Great posture pre-snap, which is something that we criticized Charles Cross for a little bit. You know, he puts a lot of weight on that inside leg, that post leg, and then he explodes into smooth pass sets using the ground to his advantage as he uses impressive foot speed at that size to reach landmarks and cut off defenders' angles because he has that feet, man, to mirror. And I would say, as I said before, really good fluidity in his hips at that size to recover, seal, hinge, and pivot. 
And I also think, like I said earlier, he does really good job restricting space once he lands his punch. And I appreciate how Neil punches and how he attacks defenders because he varies his striking methods up, which I think is very important. He doesn't give defenders an easy read. He'll land a strong two-hand punch to just stun defenders when they present their chest, but he can also use patience to strike. He can sit back on his hips and absorb power rushers with confidence. He can attack at the beginning of the play and use his good overall hand technique to adjust and react to his assignment's intentions, something that I saw. So I would agree he is much more aggressive than a Charles Cross, but if he feels like it's better for him to be a little bit more patient, he will do that. I like the fact that he buries that up. And that punch, bro, incredibly strong, unpredictable timing, placement, power, extension when it's necessary to just put defenders in a bind. I remember this play against LSU's BJ Ojolari. That's Aziz's younger brother. He was using this stutter off the line. And Ojolari, he's, he's a talented player. And he presented his chest for about a split second. It looked like Neil was kind of waiting with power, but he saw that the chest was exposed. So he just double punched Ojolari and just kind of washed him up the pass rushing arc. Because he has those hands. He has that grip strength to just restrict the space, prevent the movement. And there were several times when he would absorb bull rushes from defenders and his reactive hands would just refit after the initial punch and kind of get underneath the pads of defenders. And then you could just see him because he has really good upper body strength too. He would just rise their center of gravity, forcing the defender to kind of prematurely uncoil his hips, which hindered the defender's ability to continuously employ power or lower leg drive. He has all of these little nuanced things to stopping defenders power rushes and this was one effective way neil used to maximize his anchor and i actually kind of think i don't know i want to get your take on this before i continue going his anchor i think it's solid i don't think it's a bad trade of his by any stretch of the imagination but i don't think it was i I thought it would be a little bit better to to be honest did you see that on film yeah i think that makes sense too and i did see that but i think what makes sense why that makes sense to me is i feel like when you are that size you can get away with a lot more but I wanted to also actually get into just how he uses his counter moves. Cause I feel like he does a really good job with that inside hand whenever he is out on an island. So there are a lot of times where he was, you know, left alone on an island and slide protection to the other way. And he was blocking a talented pass rusher by himself. And I felt like he kept that inside hand in an anticipatory manner to, to disallow inside counter moves and he did it well, man, because he could slide out into space and overset, but then he would have that inside hand kind of cocked up. And there were several times where people would try to hit him with inside spin moves or just kind of try to slant inside. And he did a pretty good job either just catching him, getting his feet in front, or just washing that dude right into a guard who was, you know, helping the center with a double team. So I think in terms of his ability to adjust on the fly mid rep, in terms of counter moves, in terms of when to punch. It's very, very smooth. I think it's very, very good. I think it shows processing, and I think it's precocious for an offensive tackle who played at the SEC, a young guy who can be able to master all of those things. And I think he's going to probably take that and translate it into the NFL, and he's going to need that because some of the weaknesses we're about to go over, the pad level, the balance, that stuff is going to get exploited if you're not good at the things that I was just talking about. Yeah, and he and you're right. The, the pad level, the balance, those are issues that you'll see more at the next level, of course. But I do think what you said is important here. He's a really well-rounded prospect, and I feel like he has more, like, more options, more you know, kinks in his arsenal, however you want to say, than what I saw with Charles Cross when we were watching him. And there's a lot of reasons for it. I think part of it is that, and I'm curious to get your take on this, 
He's a way more explosive athlete than I thought. I kind of thought this was going to be a different style player. Almost thinking like going into this, this was going to be like an Orlando Brown type guy, someone who's just more like long and big and strong at the point of attack. But I think he's a really explosive athlete as well. I see it when he's moving forward a lot in the run game and obviously anyone can uh, execute power well as a run blocker, but he is really explosive. And I feel like in the passing game, it's even more evident how he gets into his set, like his sets. He just really looks like someone, a, a much better athlete than I expected for someone at that length. Yeah. He's an excellent athlete. And he was number one, or yeah, I think he was number one on Bruce Feldman's freak list going into 2021. And a lot of people don't expect a guy, like, what does he play at? Like three, 45 350 like a guy yeah. 6 7 350 to be that athletic but we've seen the videos going around twitter and i've watched a bunch of evan neal tape and you could see he can cover a lot of ground with his feet He's smooth with his footwork and he explodes off the ground he can redirect and redistribute his weight redirect his hips towards his target if they do throw some sort of counter move at him he has a lot going for him and we'll get into his weaknesses in a little bit but i want to also touch on the run blocking because this dude he's powerful man he's powerful at the point of attack generates a lot of push from his lower body into his hips and then through his opponents i feel like he leans a little bit too much which gets him into trouble at times but he devastates defenders while down blocking on those pin pull type of concepts whenever he's the play side tackle if he's going up against a four eye or even a five technique he's going to use that outside arm to just press the outside shoulder hard and then just flip his hips and then seal and wash him down the line of scrimmage if he has to solid foot speed like we said to get the defenders outside shoulders and push them off the line of scrimmage. His length really helps him while blocking laterally, but he does allow his chest to get over his toes too often, which I don't really find is, is too desirable. But I think he's athletic enough to be play side and reach, you know, five techniques outside shoulders. He's long and athletic enough to do that, which isn't necessarily something everybody can do. Overall, to me, Neil is a good run blocker, aggressive. He does a very good job of getting his hands inside and using excellent functional strength to dictate the point of attack. Defenders separate from Neil as a run blocker by either moving backwards and around or by taking advantage of Neil's biggest weakness I'm going to get into, and that is, of course, the pad level and the balance. Yeah, and we'll get into the weaknesses as well. There's a few other... Um positives and strengths I wanted to talk about with Neil, who again, I really do feel like is one of the best players in this class. To me, I think he should be the number one overall pick if they're not going to go the pass rusher route because they have too many there. I I would take him, at, 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 and I will see what happens when when we watch uh, Ekem. I think that's the right way to pronounce it. We'll, we'll get to that on his episode. I keep forgetting, going back and forth on that, but I believe that Neil is just by far and away the highest upside prospect after watching him. And he's already almost there and realized in a lot of ways. And I just really like a couple other things about him. One, that's his versatility. He started a different position in all three of his years at Alabama, started off in the inside and the interior guard proved he can do that. Then came in last year, two years ago as a right tackle, which obviously the giants need more than left tackle proved. He can do that. Had a really great season as a right tackle, really good grades. And honestly had his best performance the other thing I really like about him is that he has tends to have some of his best performances when the games matter most. He just, according to pro football focus, he allowed just one pressure that includes quarterback hits sacks and hurries during the entire 2020 college football playoff run that Alabama went on just one total pressure there um, against A&M this year. Good opponent, just zero pressures, 58 snaps as a pass blocker, and then had one of his highest grade, had his highest grade a game according to pro football focus overall, both as a run blocker and pass blocker against Ole Miss. And that's Sam Williams. So again, just really good competition. He does tends to look really good against good competition over the last two seasons, despite having what 
over a thousand snaps, over eleven, almost eleven hundred snaps as a pass blocker. Just four snap sacks allowed, and over eleven hundred snaps. Also, according to Pro Football Focus, total of just 17 hurries over 1,100 snaps. So they're just insane numbers. Quarterback got hit once when he was a right tackle that season two years ago with Alabama. So the numbers are all there for Evan Neal. The production's been there. There's nuance in his game. And like I said, he's played multiple positions, and he tends to have his best games when they count most. So just a lot of other things I like about Neal. Yeah, I think he is a high four prospect whose ceiling isn't low either so that's the kind of guy that you generally want to add to your team and i'm really interested in getting into ekem's film shout out to victor for the uh pronunciation correction E-chem. and there it is yes yeah victor who dm'd us the man thank you so much for that but I do like Evan Neal. I like Charles Cross too. I like Neal a little bit more than Charles Cross. I think he's a little bit more well-rounded than Charles Cross. Less questions because Charles Cross comes from the air raid. But once we get into Ecamm, then we will probably have a podcast discussing all three of the top tackles because there are some people that I respect in the industry that have Cross over Evan Neal. So I don't think that's like a, a crazy thought. I would take Neal over Cross, but that is something that is out there. Yeah, I mean, and I understand why he looks so smooth, Cross, when you watch him, and he has that yeah. crazy mirror ability, and you're, there's less plays. I think that's part of the reason, we'll get to this obviously in the weaknesses, part of the reason that some people are lower on Neil is because there are more plays where he's on the ground, or he's just yeah. off balance. And you even said, like, his anchor is not as good as what you would expect it to be. And some of those things could probably stand out. To me, it kind of reminds me of when people scout prospects at the receiver position, and they focus too much on the drops and less on what they do well. Um, I'm never a big believer in scouting the drops. So I just feel like when you focus on the things that they're not doing well versus instead focusing on the things they do well and comparing those things, you maybe get a different outlook, or at least that's my opinion. Um, but I think that you're right. There are some people who just look at how smooth cross is and they're like, this isn't going to fail at the next level. It might, you might have to switch positions, but you, when you, when you can mirror like that, you're probably going to succeed. And other people are like, well, Neil's on the ground a lot. So let's get to some of the weaknesses. I think the first one you've touched on in a lot of different ways. I think it was described, I believe, maybe by Jeremiah or somebody who I read at some point, and I really like how he described this as one of Neil's weaknesses. And it's just that it feels like when you watch him that his weight is often in front of his toes, um, both Mm -hmm. in the pass and run game. And that's what a lot of times leads to him being on the ground or, you know, losing his balance. Absolutely. Yeah. He always, well, not always, but a lot of the times he is just bending at that waist. He bends at the waist way too often. He leans into blocks too. So that means the contact is initiated and he's kind of leaning into the contact, which that's not allow smart and instinctive defenders to just kind of lower their leverage, establish better hand placement, or just refit their hands and then muscle their way to put Neil on the deck, which we kind of saw a, a more than you would expect from somebody who's being discussed as first overall. Granted, this class is isn't the isn't the best draft class. Let's just say that he's he's a, he's a little off balance at times, and I get it. He's six foot seven. He's really big, but he doesn't really do a good job kind of keeping those hips low. Those balance issues they can get exposed, and it was evident on the tape. A lot of defenders would use a push pull move to separate from Neil. So they would attack with a double punch and they would push Neil backwards just a little bit. And Neil's strong enough to, to anchor down typically when it's just that kind of uh, jolted, not a drive. And then once his back is going backwards, then the defender would pull him forward and then his momentum would go forward and he would be leaning at his waist. And that's not a good thing. There's a lot of people kind of separated from him in that manner. I saw it a couple of times against Zach Carter when Alabama played Florida. 
So those are things he's going to have to work on. I'm not overly concerned about it. It wasn't something that was a huge liability or anything like that. It's just we're tweaking here. We're pointing out some things that could be exposed at the next level. Like you said, man, finds himself on the ground just a little bit too often. Waste in his feet. Don't always come with the upper body. Overextending himself. These issues with pad level and a player that leans too much. It, it just kind of disallows Neil from sustaining blocks consistently while he is on the move or when he's at the second level because he has all the length in the world to locate people at the second level but when you're running at him and your feet are behind your upper body these defenders are excellent athletes they can evade you they can get around you somehow or they can you know use their strength and try to jolt you your high center of gravity and then just move you to the side so like i said we're nitpicking here he's a top five pick in this class but i don't know if he'd be a top five pick in in the previous two draft class actually no Scratch it. I know he wouldn't be a top five pick in the previous two draft classes, especially not last year and definitely not 2020 either. Cause I think he wouldn't, I don't know. I got, I would have Andrew Thomas higher than Evan Neal. I think, yes. and I, don't, I don't know if yeah, you would too. I was, I was wondering what, how you felt about that. And he also had reported weight issues during his time at Alabama. Obviously that was not evident whatsoever at the combine when he showed up looking great, but it's just something else to monitor. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think like, like there is probably a combo. Like I feel like Thomas was the higher floor prospect, even though Neil is a high floor prospect because there are just examples. Like, so Neil does have on Thomas and a lot of these prospects in the last couple of classes, that crazy length and that crazy ability to carry 350 pounds and make it look like it's nothing. But he also has just big time issues that I don't like know if are a guarantee to be, I guess, I don't want to say fixed at the next level, but just not negligible to next level. I guess that's a better word for it. Like he's off balance a good amount. And like, like, like people say, and it's obvious he's, he's lunging at times. He's not, it seems like he should be better than he is at the second level as a blocker. And I just don't know if those same issues were, were there for a lot of these other tackles coming before him, Thomas included. And I don't know if for sure those can be cleaned up at the next level. Like one thing Thomas ran into as a rookie with the giants that really held him back was just kind of trying to, get used to changes that the coaches wanted him to make to his set, to his vertical set. And that could be a similar situation with Neil potentially where the coaches try to change some things up to get him to play more on balance. But I don't know if it's something that is technical. Like what would you describe? Like this almost feels like he'd have to retool a lot of how he goes about as a blocker to, to change some of this. No, I just think he needs to sink his ass more. He just needs to be a little bit more disciplined. With is that his, something that, that you can just I do? Think so. I, yeah, I, I do think you can do that, especially when you're an elite athlete like Evan Neal. I think there were times in college, and I'm not questioning his competitive toughness, but he was a dominant player. And I think there were yeah. times in college where his technique was a little bit lazy. It's not a shot at his competitive toughness. It's not a shot at his drive. It's just he didn't have to always do everything to stop people because he was mm-hmm. a dominant force. So at the NFL, you're going up against other dominant forces all the time. So I think he's just going to need to refine that technique and be sharper, essentially, most of the time, specifically just with balance and and center of gravity and pad level, all of those things, which are basically all the same concern. And I think that that's something that can happen once he gets with an NFL coach, once he gets used to the NFL speed and all that. But it's going to be something, you know, rookie season, he's probably going to be exploited a couple of times. It doesn't make him a bad player. Right. It's welcome to the NFL type of moments, but he'll learn. He's a smart player. He's highly regarded. And I don't think there are any questions about his work ethic or anything like that, other than people saying his weight issue 
was something that to monitor at Alabama, but I'm not overly worried about that either. And that was an issue earlier in his career, not as much recently anyway. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's like, yeah, maybe he'll have those like standout bad reps. People, oh, did you see this bad rep by him? Like an Eric Flowers level rep during his rookie season. But that doesn't define his entire body of work. And that's not what teams are looking for either. And I think ultimately with Neil, what gets me so excited about him and the Giants potentially having him is he is like just physical and just a raw, strong, physical at the point of attack type guy that can just beat you up both as if you're trying to bull rush him or if he's moving forward and just trying to block you down. And I just love to see that in addition to obviously his ability to play all the tackle spots and on the interior as well. I just think he's all around the best tackle in this class so far from what I've seen. I just I'm not sure anyone's going to pass him for me. I think Iquanu easily could if if I really like him. And I just got to get more Trevor Penning film. I think one hit the the outlet that I use, but uh, I think I'm going to need more than one. Dude, the Arkansas tape with Neil was, was awesome, dude. And I, he wasn't going up against great pass rushers or anything like that. But there were so many times where I was just like, dude, this, this pass rusher is so frustrated because he's trying to do so many different things. He's thinking about his pass rush. But, and Neil was just right in front of him like the entire time or just knocking him to the ground with his punch. It was um, That was a really fun game to watch of Evan Neal. Yeah, for sure. And he's also someone who's graded out well, both in uh, power and zone as a run blocker. So he can do he can do both things is he's had true pass sets he, at Bama. You know, he's been used in a lot of different ways. And just talking about, again, just a super strong, explosive athlete with a crazy good frame to go with it. So, yeah, and the hand technique too, and, 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 and the hand technique already. And like you said, there's a lot of nuances already to his game. And that's not surprising coming in as like the number one overall recruit at the position. But these are all great things that, but so like with all those factors, then it's like, well, then why do me and Nick, or why are we saying that he's not even the best tackle of these last few classes? And I think a lot of it is that his weaknesses can be exposed, like ha- not being that flexible and not, you know, not always like, you know, sometimes being heavy with heavy footed, leaning forward, putting your weight in front of your toes, all these things can be exposed. And that may not be the case for some of these other guys that we've studied. And we'll see if he can clean that up to have it not be exposed. Cause if he does, he's got incredible ceiling. Yeah, and I think that's my main concern. And I might be putting too much weight into that because I do believe that it is correctable. Because when you talk about his hand technique, man, you can watch, like like I mentioned it before, like the ability to vary your punches and, and attack in a variety of different ways, that is an underrated quality in some tackles. Now, every tackle is trying to do that, but to be effective at it is another story. And I felt like Evan Neal did a good job. But his big concern, the balance, would you know hinder that ability because there were times where he would lean into that punch and you're leaning over the waist mm-hmm. and you're overextending at your waist and good pass rushers are going to take advantage of that with, with well-timed counter moves. He wasn't always going up against good pass rushers or at least, you know, NFL type pass rushers when you're playing in college, even in the sec. So those are kind of the concerns, but dude, there, there's a lot to like about Evan Neal. And if he's the selection at five, you're not going to hear a complaint from me because he's very versatile. I think he's going to step in day one, be a starter, take his lumps a little bit similar to Andrew Thomas, maybe not as bad as Andrew Thomas initially, because he was worse than what I expected during his rookie season, but he'll come around and he'll be a a long-term fixture on the Giants offensive line at right tackle. Yeah, without a doubt. And not only that, it's like, I I just wanted to say one thing though. I don't think that you or anyone who does have these concerns with Neil's being overly critical of one aspect, because that's just how important that aspect is. Like Mm. the footwork balance at side of this thing of being an offensive lineman, 
I've heard so many guys I trust who, who evaluate this uh, for a living and former offensive linemen who say the number one thing that they're looking for is footwork balance. So when it is the most important thing, quote unquote, from a lot of these guys who believe who study this or have played the position, I'm going to put it number one, too. So, yeah, you can have that unreal frame, crazy explosiveness for somebody your size, strength to the point of attack you know, very, you know, good punch, varied moves, you know, well-rounded overall tackles played all the positions. But if you, if you have really bad footwork and balance, you might not make that jump. I'm not saying it's going to happen with Neil, but it's at least in the realm of possibilities. We've seen this happen with plenty of top prospect tackles before who don't make the jump because of the footwork balance issue. Yeah. And I, and I want to preface one or at least explain one thing. The foot, his footwork to me is pretty good. Like, like his footwork's good. Like, I feel like he gets into his sets really quickly. Like, I have no issues with that. It's more just center of gravity. So like, cause there are times like, like Charles Cross on his film. Like I saw some false steps specifically when he was run blocking, which isn't a surprise. The guy did it 200 times in an entire season where he was healthy, but I don't really see many false steps with Evan Neal. He has pretty clean feet in that area. Yeah, and he's definitely explosive into his stance as well. I just feel like sometimes he's it gets more it's more so the upper body than the footwork. Yes. It's, just, it's all in that upper body that he has to find a way to mentally get um in sync with his lower body, which again, like what, it, I agree he can fix it, but some of it I think is what naturally comes to him. Uh, I've talked about that rep against BJ Ojolari before. BJ Ojolari later in that game. Uh, this is just that game of cat and mouse. We talk about it with running back and linebackers. It's the same thing with edges and offensive tackles when they're going up against each other. Ojalari hit Evan Neal with the same stutter step move where he presented his chest, only this time he just went with this ghost technique and dipped underneath Evan Neal's double punch. And it was so beautiful, showing excellent bend. And I just, I'm not saying this to to chastise Evan Neal by any means, but it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, I see you, BJ Ojalari. That is a good little wrinkle right there. Cause he, he, he fooled Evan Neal, who got a little bit too aggressive, thought he was, had the same situation he saw earlier in the game, tried to lean into it and double punch and just totally whiffed, excellently timed by Aziz's younger brother. Yeah, those Ojalaris timing their moves well. All right. Anything else on Neal before we wrap up? No, I mean, I just think uh, I would love for him to be a giant is, is what I'd say. I think that would really help this offensive line. You would have two potentially long-term starters at left and right tackle for, you know, the next decade. Yeah, man. Assuming Hutchinson, there's no chance. My two wishlist guys by far, Thibodeau and Evan Neal. I just hope the Giants can get one of these two so badly. To me, there's so much more high ceiling than some of the guys that are being discussed around them. And I do think their floor is there as well. So I'm not even worried about that. And I just want a chance at one of these potential elite guys. I think both Neil to me has the highest upside in this class by far of all the tackles. So again, we haven't seen one of one of the big names already and, and we haven't seen panning much either. So that could change. But as of right now, I'm really hoping if the Giants get either Neil or Thibodeau at five, I, I, I wouldn't even want to trade back. I like him so much. Yeah, I definitely feel that, especially when they could trade back at seven and, and possibly get a good amount, depending on what teams are going to want to do. But teams, I mean, <laughs> depends though, man. That, that fifth overall pick could be very valuable if 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 a Seattle or a team like that, or even a Pittsburgh who's picking later, if they're willing to mortgage a lot because they love like a Malik Willis or whomever. Yeah, it would be just Malik Willis. That's about it. But yeah, it could definitely be him. Exactly. So we'll have to see when the time comes. Thank you to everybody tuning in to the Big Blue Banter podcast. It's another draft profile, more coming. Next up will be either one of two players, a surprise tight end you probably haven't heard much about, but I saw Nick did some work on and I started watching and I was like, 
I really like this guy. And so I want to do something on this guy. And I want to, and since then I've been trying to find like as much as I can just to watch him. Cause I really like, I'll talk about it on the pod, but he, he reminds me of a player in the NFL, the way he moves with and without the ball. So we'll talk about him and we're also going to do a big one. Kayvon Thibodeau, that's a big name, big prospect profile. So keep it locked and loaded, but keep in mind there is free agency coming and more moves to the Giants. So we'll be doing more coverage on that as well. So have a great rest of your weekend and we'll talk to you soon.